Of the three of us, how many have actually done metal detecting on the beach? I'm going to say at least two. No, you'd be wrong. Not me. I didn't do it. So, so just Don? Don, have you done it? Of course I have. That's why I figured one of you. No. no. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I've done some metal detecting. Do you find any treasures? Um, what did I find? Um, couple bullet casings. I think I found a ring, but it was like just like a like a cheapo like steel ring. Um, and maybe like I think I ended up finding like a couple bucks and quarters. That was that was the big the big prize. On the on the note of iron rings and bullet casings, welcome to the Sprites of Life podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. <laughs> what on now? Now back to that. I'm sorry. I, I, the bullet casings should probably be reported to the police. I mean, they were old. They were all like, I mean, this was like on a beach, so it was like um, very like corroded from the salt. I don't know. I remember during a beach cleanup that my old aquarium did. Like they had to go and clean up the ocean. They find like the front end of a jeep. And then a handgun. And so they had to call the cops and turn in the handgun. So it's just like one of those like, yep, that's Florida. I don't know. It's just one of those things like, what do you find in a Florida beach? You find a ring. You find some quarters. Bullet casings. Yeah. A buddy of mine does um a lot of fossil diving in uh, some rivers in central Florida. And he finds, like, honestly, he, find, he found like a mammoth femur a while ago, which was nuts. But also he finds a gun like once a year. That is... That's very Florida. I love Florida, but I'm not living there. And there's reasons for that. But it's uh, home sweet home. So, Chris, why on earth did you bring up uh, my state's unofficial hobby? Well, it is the uh, modern or the, the average man's treasure hunting. And I figured with this episode, we could look at the little bit of the, the history of treasure hunting in video games. There's a pretty, a pretty good representation of treasure hunters and treasure hunting throughout uh, gaming pretty, pretty much since like the beginning. Isn't that kind of like something that people have been doing ever since they realized when the ships went down, nobody could get the stuff out of them? It's like one of the uh, original get-rich-quick schemes, although a lot more risk for dying. Yeah, I mean, I I looked it up when you mentioned, like, what the episode would probably be on. And I looked up, like, the history of treasure hunting. And, like, people have been, like, trying to go down to, like, sunken ships since, like, I don't know, since, like, they really got bigger on the 70s. Since as soon as they put cool stuff on ships. I guarantee you there's been guys in Egypt that saw a nice ship sink and were like going for it. But like only in the 1700s were they able to like come up with any kind of way to get down to like deeper stuff as opposed to quick, hold your breath and grab some gear. Yeah. So, so with this, I figure we'll look at uh, some early games with treasure hunting and some popular treasure hunters. And then uh, with Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, we actually had four treasure hunting Pokemon Uh, if you will. So I figure we'll look at those ones too to wrap it up. All right. That's fair. Um, We we got some science news I wanted to bring up because it's almost Shark Week. And like, hopefully they've announced Shark Week by now because when we're recording, Discovery Channel is like, oh, we only post Shark Week two weeks before. And they're really dumb about it. I hate it. But they recently did a study and y'all, y'all are going to believe this, but whatever. Um, great white sharks have almost no interest in eating humans, studies confirm. So Jaws is propaganda. Well, okay, here's the reason I bring this up. By now, most people have at least heard the fact that sharks don't actually kill that many people or hurt that many people. But usually the mindset is, oh, they're not hurting us because they're nowhere near us. If they were nearby, then they might try and hurt us. And then this is one of those things where it's like, no, 
They're actively around you all the time and they just don't give a crap. And so this was something that was really cool. There was this study that was done off several California beaches, and they found that many of the young great white sharks, you know, the nine-footers, are on the far side of the wave break where the line of the wave starts, you know, crest. But plenty of people still hang out there. The Like, obviously, the people hanging out in, like, the waders, the bodybuilders, whatever, they're all there. But, like, the people who are, you know, paddleboarding, the people who are surfing, the people who are swimming, they're swimming in the exact same water. And they had drones flying over this. And they looked and saw that while the sharks were very much there and people were getting really close, they didn't go near them. They didn't want to be around them. In fact, with, like, a lot of the sharks, they seemed, like, scared of the humans and would move away from them. I like this study in part because while it's, again, repeating data – that's kind of what you have to do to protect a species is repeat the data, repeat it over and over and show people that these animals don't mean you any harm, especially, you know, it's the summertime, more people going to the ocean every year, people get scared and it's nice to have this information out there. And still don't mess with them if you see them. Oh yeah, no, you still respect them. As much as I'm going to tell you the shark's not going to hurt you, please don't poke it. Please don't ride it. Why do they look like friends then? They are friend-shaped. But that does not make them friends, Don. You understand my meaning? Friends. Just stop it. <laughs> like, don't try and hug them. Don't be that idiot who tried riding a whale shark. Like, just leave them alone and they'll be fine. Oh, God. Someone did that. Someone rid a whale shark and someone put, like, the Generation 3 surf music with it. Oh, no. Yeah, it was really bad because I was like, oh, this is funny, but this is really wrong. Someone's going to try this. Leave the animal alone. It doesn't care. It's older than trees. It's had enough of your shenanigans. Now, I just wanted to get that out there while it's the summertime. If you're going to the beach, please be worried about something else other than sharks, like high parking prices or fake seafood. Or know. properly and appropriately applying sunscreen. Oh, please do. Cancer is a real threat and skin cancer is no joke. My, it's one of the cancers. My mom, my mom has survived like three cancers and skin cancer is one of them. So I was like, yeah, no, don't, don't do that. Well, we have, we had a Nintendo direct, uh, this past week. Yeah, it was. Yes, we did. It was good. Quite a bit of news. So uh, excited. Don, do you want to hit the, the Pokemon aspects of it? Um, Any sure. I was, I was, I'm, I'm, there's another part I'm actually more excited about. Then I'll, I'll yeah. do the, I'll do the Pokemon model. You can do it later. Okay. So. <laughs> Uh, Pokemon, there's a little bit more details fleshed out for the treasure of Area Zero. We got a better look at three new Pokemon that all get, was it uh, Toxic Chain? Yes, a new. it's like basically a super poison touch with uh, Toxic. We don't know the rates. Oh, you mean the rates of affecting? Yeah, which um, I will say, like when we first learned about Water Bubble back in the day with the Rockwinded, we thought it just prevented burns. We're like, oh, that's fine. And then later we like learned the rest of it when the game came out about the whole like doubling water moves so like this might like also double poison moves it could do something wild but even so it's not a bad ability already it's also for special and physical attacks wow any attack it hits you with can poison No, any attack you hit them with oh okay i see what you're saying i see what you're saying so you you just gotta you gotta be a steel type to kill them basically yeah basically be a poison or a steel type to get rid of them got it and then, uh, and then in the second expansion, which I can't quite remember the name of, but we see that we're going to a new school, the Blueberry Academy. That's right. I, I, I can't take them seriously if they're calling themselves the Blueberry Academy. Go Blueberries! I, I want to crush them into a fine blueberry wine. I don't know. I like it. And I like that they have a 
Pokemon Bioshock Underwater Sea Dome. <laughs> uh, it just looks like the Ether Foundation. Okay, it for does. any of the really nerdy people listening who watched My Hero Academia, it looks like the training center in the anime where they built like, hi, we built an entire disaster zone inside a dome so you could test your like rescue skills. Like it's it's basically like something out of an anime. I love it. It's pretty great. The other bit of Pokemon news is it was officially announced that we are getting Detective Pikachu 2 on the Switch in October. I saw that as well. I am whelmed, I guess. I know I was never into like Detective Pikachu was an amazing movie. As far as the game goes, I always thought it was meh. But you know, that's just me. What do but I that means we get another movie officially? I, I really hope so. The world building in the po- Detective Pikachu movie is some of the finest I've ever seen in the game. Beautiful. Love it. I'll talk about it all day one day. Uh, before we get to the other stuff that's going to take over, uh, Star Oceans 2 got announced, and that's pretty baller. I mean, it's, it is, Star Ocean is a weird RPG franchise, but Star Oceans 2 is the best in the series, and I love 2D, 3D sprite styles. It's one of my favorite to see play. I love that they're bringing this to the Switch, and more importantly, PlayStation, which can play it better. And then b- before, before we let Don run rampant, uh luigi's mansion dark moon is getting a uh port to the switch which is awesome i I very much enjoyed that game on the 3ds how are you gonna say that before mario rpg i'm building to it building to that no there's no build up this is the golden boy then we had super mario bros wonder with elephant mario Mm, can't say it 2d 2d scroller awesome looks fun and then we get Super Mario RPG remake. Lucas, what did, tell me about it? It is Mar- it is Mario's first RPG. It is basically the dark horse like of all the Mario shows, uh, Mario games because it's like legitimately was just this one weird combo they did with Square Enix. The reason it's so impactful is that nobody thought it could get remade because of the weirdness between the Nintendo and Square Enix relationship. They didn't know if the other two would ever be willing to work together long enough to make that again and it was a really great game like i never even got to play it because it was before my time so i'm really excited to get that chance to try it out i love me a good rpg and this one has a lot of like goodwill behind it a lot of the characters were thought like people were trying to get them into like smash brothers for years and it's finally there all right, let's uh, let's let Don off his leash. Don, off you yeah, go. Yeah, all right. We have Pikmin Four. It's time. We're a month out. Get hyped. Get ready. <laughs> uh, how about Pikmin One and Two also coming remastered? I already have them downloaded. I played some Pikmin Two last night. Personal favorite. Wait, you have the remasters downloaded already? Yeah, they they, they came they, out they the dro- same day. They dropped them the second the uh like during the Nintendo Direct. They like oh, but the physical them. version's not out yet. Okay, correct. Yeah, that's no. not out for a minute, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, mm, it's my experience of Pikmin was playing it at the dentist. So I'm looking forward to us talking about it. I like the evil like rampage mode. It's just them eyes. It's just an eyes glow red meme on all the monsters. That's that's how you know evil. Yeah, it's just like eyes glowing red, death, murder, kill. I honestly think that like that of all like I mean, we just had a massive summer of games. Like, well, I love what someone called it. Not E3. We had a massive not E3. Yeah, E3's kind of just fallen apart to a they're hilarious dead. degree. They're dead in the water. Who cares? So now, like, Capcom was putting out their own stuff. The Xbox showcase was really good. Like, honestly, I'm not an Xbox guy at all, but Xbox killed it in that presentation. 
I, I mean, I wish Sony could do as good a job as they did because, like, I, I will say though, Final Fantasy VII, who, it's beautiful. It's going to be beautiful, baby. Oh my God, I'm so excited. It's good to be a gamer. All right, that's all our news and gushing out of the way. We will be talking about these games plenty once we get to it. But um, for now, um, treasure hunting in gaming? Going back to the 80s, uh, on the Atari video game computer system, we had one of the uh, earliest representations of treasure hunting in games, which is a game that is very near and dear to my heart, uh, which is Pitfall. I used to play Pitfall all the time uh, at my grandparents when we went to go visit them. Did you all play this, or was this way past? Oh, granted, this is this is past my time, too. Like, I was playing it, like, 16 years after it was made. But did you all play the original Pitfall at all? I have played I think I have played it at some point, yes. Never played it, but I know it's impact in part because it's parodied by a lot. Whenever people like parody old video games, this is one of the video games they parody the most. So without I took it out of the notes because I wanted to test. Do you know who developed Pitfall? No. Bethesda. Activision. Wow. It was one of Activision's earliest big successes. And look where they are now. They went from Activision, to, or the Pitfall to Call of Duty. Yeah, I'm just staring at a fire off in the distance, and it just—that's how I feel where Activision Blizzard is right now. It is a, it is a straight line from Pitfall to Activision an actual Blizzard. Pitfall. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Everything comes back around. Uh, I feel bad for the developers and nobody else. So Pitfall again. It was released uh, 19, uh, early '90s, I think '82, '83. Coding wise. The game is awesome. So the game that preceded it is a very well-known game called Adventure. Do you know Adventure? I No, I don't. If you saw uh, Ready Player One, it was the game that they were playing that they had to beat in the, the last stage when they were in like the big ice cavern. Mm. Adventure was very popular or was big at the time because it had 30 rooms that you had to could navigate through. And by rooms, it was basically you walked to the edge of the screen and then when you got to the edge and you went to the next one, a new room would appear. Okay. So Adventure had 30 rooms on its little whatever kilobyte di- uh, cartridge. Uh, Pitfall had 255. So that's a lot of bang for your buck back in the day. It is. It is a lot. So there was, I think I, I was reading that there was over a thousand hours worth of programming to make this game happen. And a good chunk of that went into figuring out how you fit all that data on a four kilobyte ROM cartridge. I know that the idea that having make, having to make something to fit in four kilobytes seems very silly nowadays. Yeah, but it was a big it was a big deal back then. It was something that they had to code around and figure out. What they ended up doing is they they were using um, basically an eight bit. Uh, sequence to represent or uh, to represent aspects for each room. So there was certain bits to represent trees or snakes or pits, etc. And those would be generated as the character moved across the screen. So uh, what was cool about the algorithm is that it was it could run forwards and backwards because if you're the player, you can obviously go right, but you could also go left. You could go backwards, and so if you went backwards the game had to be able to pull up the room that you just left. But there was no quote-unquote save data on the Atari. Okay. Does that, does that make sense? Like, does that, does that make sense why that's so cool? 
Like they were able to save a game without saving a game. Basically, uh, my again, not a coder. My understanding is with the eight bit system that they were having pop up. Basically, if the player went left, the game knew that it just had to unwind the code, the the bits that were written, and it was the the room that was just there. Okay. I mean, honestly, I find this history way more interesting than actual treasure hunting history, given that mainly most treasure hunting histories, we robbed a site. Yeah. Well, speaking of robbing a site, that was the point of the game. So we had a uh, very iconic character, Pitfall Harry, the was the player character for the game. And he's this little dude that kind of just rocking horsed his way through pits and snakes and over barrels. Uh, just very, very dangerous environments to get through. And you had a 20 minute time period to play the game, which is a pretty good length of time for a game back then. And you had three lives and you had to capture as many treasures that you could in that time. I think there was like 32 possible treasures in the game. If I'm remembering correctly. Nice. I mean, true. Yeah. Again, that's, it it very much follows what I call the Indiana Jones format. And honestly, I feel like we're going to be referencing that character. a lot. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, like a year or two before this game came out. And it's not like he was the first one to do it. There were plenty of like the old, uh, like, I don't know. What do they call it? Like the movies are like, like Dick Dudley and the adventures of the lost temple of the moon. Like there's like, oh, those, yeah, those are great. Those are so, those are the best movies. Ah, the quicksand is filled with snakes. How will he get out of this one? Folks stay tuned. Those are, yeah, there's, that's the best genre. Yeah, it's honestly like that whole idea of travel to mystic land, take someone's stuff and like escape with your life was like a formula for so much different fiction. I'm not surprised that the earliest video games would also tie to that. Yeah. Well, also, I wanted to share one thing, too. I forgot to do it in the beginning. Do you know the term MacGuffin? Yes. Uh, For our our, oh, do either of you want to explain what a MacGuffin is? An a random object that drives the plot. Yes, of of uh, power. Yeah, a random powerful object that drives the plot. Uh, so, like the Holy Grail in Arthurian legends, the Allspark. The Allspark. The Allspark. I was thinking about Transformers the other day, and I was like, the first one was sick. Uh, yeah, we could agree on that. So every every treasuring game needs its MacGuffin. Basically, we're gonna jump forward about fifteen years to probably, I would say the most recognizable video game treasure hunter, which would be Lara Croft and Tomb Raider. I would, I'm trying to think. I I agree. I agree with that. uh, Yeah, I would agree. I'm going to argue. That started that whole adventure genre, I would argue. It It really, really made it Like the modern version. Like, yeah, we had Pitfall, but it's like the, because that spawns like Uncharted and stuff like that as well. It's also one of the first, like, truly, like, recognizable female characters that isn't, like, you know, your, no offense to Princess Peach just or Zelda. Like, they're not, like, some target for you to rescue. You are the character. You are the woman. You are the playing a female character. Go kick some butt. And also, unlike Samus, not behind us. I mean, yeah, not, again, with Samus, it's like a surprise reveal. With Tomb Raider from the beginning, you are a woman, you kick butt, you're going to do your job. You know, steal stuff. So, and Tomb Raider came out in 96. Big year for gaming. Same year that Pokemon released. Let's go. Hell of a time. I was three. 
Tomb Raiders uh, made for the, the Sega Saturn by Core Design, which was a, a company, a developer in the UK. UK was churning out some big games in the 90s because that's where like Rare was there. Like there was some big stuff coming out. The game, obviously you follow Lara as, Lara as she traverses continents looking for artifacts of a scion that was connected to the lost continent of Atlantis. Those are certainly words you just said. Yes. No, I love the plot. The plot is it's <laughs> such like a classic adventure movie plot. It's it great. very much that. Uh, I'll say that it was, it really helped solidify the third person shooter as a genre. Because at the time, first person shooters were very dominant because of things like Doom. And so that sort of showed that one, how it could work. Because there was a lock-on system that was built in for when she went like a Kimbo style it wasn't the game built on like a grid system or something too. I'm unsure about that. What do, what do you know about that? Um, it was, I don't remember where I saw it. I was watching some video about the history of Tomb Raider the other day and they're how the game, um, like the movement system was like grid based and allowed for how like why the platforming worked. I'll have to find the article again. Tomb Raider has obviously had a, a long history in terms of the games that have come out since 96. There are currently 19 Tomb Raider games. I, I'm, I'm reading the same stuff you are and it's just like, 19 games but like think of how many times like think of how many times the studio has changed hands of all like sorry keep going no no no. go ahead go ahead i mean like i think you're forgetting something here tomb raiders had not one not two but about three different blockbuster hollywood films made about it two of which with angelina jolie and then one where they tried to reboot one of the time the new timelines yeah with alicia vikander yeah and none like I'll be honest, one of my guilty pleasures are the uh, Tomb Raider movies with Angelina Jolie because they're so bad. Like, they're not good movies at all, but they're just fun. Like, again, like, it's Angelina Jolie stars as the Tomb Raider. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure that they just got licensed to Amazon, the rights to Amazon for producing a show. I'm I'm so afraid of Amazon adaptations right now. Because of what? A wheel of time and yeah. then Ring of power. power. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. They, the only thing they've handled with any sort of like dexterity is the boys. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think the boys is far superior to the comics. Honestly. Yeah. No. It's. A, I mean, it's. It's too violent for us to talk about on this podcast. But yeah, they did a really good job. If you're a kid, don't watch it. If you're an adult, watch it. There, done, easy. But as far as for Tomb Raider, the current or the most recent games were made by Crystal Dynamics. Some of my favorite games, honestly. I I love Tomb Raider, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. All like, have you all played those ones? I've never played a single Tomb Raider game. Oh, you should definitely play. The... Keep in mind, I was raised by a single mother. If you showed the attractive woman on the box case, I probably wasn't gonna get it. You should play the Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raiders. They're great. The one of the things that I like that are that the, I think the Tomb Raider games do really well is that they blend the supernatural aspects of treasure hunting lore really well. And that was one of my issues with the Vikander movie in that they took the it's very it's very much following or drawing from the or the Crystal Dynamics reboot Tomb Raider game, and. At the end of the game, you end up fighting this like basically like mummy empress. Oh, there's isn't there like a, is that does it, is it the first one that has like the random skateboarder guy as a boss? I don't remember. 
There's like a guy that's just a skateboarder. I feel it like. was 1996. So it was radical, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they basically like made the they took the supernatural aspects in the movie out of it, and she basically was just like had some kind of poison thing in it that made it very less spooky, and that made me sad because I feel like that's very much part of Tomb Raider is the supernatural aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair. Tomb Raider did inspire what I would say are the greatest treasure hunting games ever created. And that is the Uncharted franchise. The ones I have not played because I don't PlayStation, bro. Ah, but like Naughty Dog's finest creation next to The Last of Us. And the only reason I say next to The Last of Us is because where The Last of Us TV show was awesome, the Uncharted movie was not. Uh, Do you want to know my favorite story about the Uncharted movie? Oh God, no! I have no yeah, idea. I, I have no do. idea if this is actually true or not, but I still think it's funny. Uh, so if it's just a joke, it's just a joke. But uh, I heard that Mark Wahlberg was attached to that movie for so long that he was the original Nathan Drake. <laughs> and then by the time they actually got it made, he was Sully. My brother was the one who played these games while I sat by and watched. So it was basically for me like watching a movie and like. He when he learned that Tom Holland was gonna play Nathan Drake, he was like, "No." Was he unhappy? <laughs> no, like it just like he wasn't angry. He was just like just just no, like just flat out. Like the fact of the matter is, I will not be watching this garbage. And it's very much like, yeah, I'm sorry, Tom Holland. You should not be in everything. I mean, I think Tom Holland did just fine as Nathan Drake. He this was the no, like for what it was. Like, it could have been so much better, but he did not portray the character like the game does. And the game portrays someone who isn't starting out. They portray someone who does know how to actually steal stuff. Like, the young Nathan Drake setup storyline is all done in flashbacks in the game for a reason. Because young Nathan Drake is nowhere near as interesting as the Nathan Drake you deal with in the game. The big thing that this game did for treasure hunting games is that it gave it a story. Like, a really compelling story. Laura Croft can still have elements and characters and what have you, but like Uncharted was the one who brought in Sully, who brought in all of these characters who were like dynamic, had different motivations, a different like. And the first Nathan Drake Uncharted movie, Uncharted game, it was fine. It was okay. But then Uncharted 2 came out and the train sequence happened and people lost their minds because like you're hanging off a train off the Himalayas. Like it was amazing. The stuff that they did, the gunplay was better. The running around the combats, the parkouring, the puzzles were all great. Now, Lucas, so that being said, I feel like you would really like the new two meter games. They probably copied from uncharted and saw how well it did. I also really like that uncharted took from like real world, historical like figures and historical events to kind of drive it because just like, just like Tomb Raider, there are always going to be some mystical brouhaha at the end of it, be it like zombie Nazis or like horrifying blue monster people or like the first centaur. There's like a there's like um or not first the first uh, Tomb Raider. Yeah, there's like a crazy centaur monster thing. I yeah. remember that. I mean, there's you there's the whole like Atlantis continent. Yeah, that's sick. I like when it goes. I like when they go wild with it. <laughs> like Uncharted actually borrowed that from two later. Like let's start out normal, like you're just trying to break into a place, and then build up. Like the third act is always when the mystical brouhaha happens. Like they never release. Like it's always the third act, and before that, you're just combing through an ancient deserted city or place. Um, 
Bricky on YouTube did a phenomenal breakdown on like all the Uncharted games. It's a little bit sweary, but otherwise it's great. If you're looking into a game on treasure hunting, like it's the Uncharted series. And if you have a PlayStation, you can get the collection. If you have a PC, I, is it not ported to PC yet? I feel it should be ported to PC by now. I'm not going to look it up, but I hope it is. So, I mean, that's like the history of the treasure hunting. Like those are the major treasure hunting. Those, yeah, those are three big tre- three big uh, titans in the treasure hunting game genre for sure. But we're going to jump into the the treasure hunting Pokemon game because they lead very heavily heavily in their marketing on the on the the, the treasure hunting aspects of Scarlet and Violet. And uh, it took they uh, I would say they went a little over the top in leaning into the perilous aspects of treasure hunting. So the first one that we have, I honestly, Dom, we need your buddy's pronunciation list because I'm not sure I'm going to say these right. But I say Chin Pao. That's what most of us say. And I I describe as devious sword fanged snow leopard. I like it. I mean, it's fair enough. I mean, it is a snow leopard. Like it's it's a leopard ice type dark type. I don't know what else anyone wants to say about this thing. I think it is important to note that with all of these, they are not the actual creatures, but they are the items that are in the like the Pokemon is the item. So Chin Pao, it is the the sword it's just fangs. the sword fangs. Yeah. yeah. And it, it basically molded the snow around it to create like an embodiment. Um, I think they're all driven by certain like emotions and uh, Chin Pao is fueled by hate. I, I also want to point out that since you mentioned it's made up of snow. So if you have good emotions and give snow a hat, it becomes Frosty the Snowman. If you're really ticked off and you just give snow a sword, it becomes a Shen Pao. <laughs> there must have been some magic in that broken down sword they found. <laughs> the uh, the dex entries from Violet says, The hatred of those perished by the sword long ago has clad itself in snow and become a Pokemon. That is edgy. And, I, that, I don't, and then the not... flip side, in Scarlet, it says it can control 100 tons of fallen snow, which is definitely enough to kill you and or or to bury you and or kill you. It's That's too much snow. That's a lot of ice and pain. And then it dances on your grave. Does it actually say that? It plays around innocently by leaping in and out of the avalanches that it has caused. Aw, he's just a little guy. Yeah, he's just, just a little guy. I should point out before we get too deep, like the whole four evil creatures thing is a thing in Chinese mythology. Like it is like there's there's four evil creatures. They've gone by different names, but the most common are, first off, none of these look like anything that the Pokemon game made. So the only thing they took was four evil creatures. You've got Hundun, which is a creature without a face. And like it was the primeval center of chaos. Tao Wu represented ignorance. It just made people ignorant and dumb. Tao Tai, which represents gluttony and devoured everything. And Queen Kuei, which was like devious and just did malicious deeds, like instigated war, eat people, yada, yada. Like it has, I, I still think it's cool that they did that, that these are mythology, but I don't want us to go any deeper on that because like it's, it's a lot. Like that's a lot of lore and mythology. I don't want to get it wrong. So, yeah, it is based on four horrifying powers, but they did pick an awesome Pokemon. I will also say that Snow Leopards are, they're not endangered yet, but we have seen a noticeable drop in their population. 
and it sucks. Um, Snow Leopards, it, you've, people have gotten more used to seeing them thanks to uh, Planet Earth and all, and David Attenborough posting about them. But they are a species that is under threat due to poaching. People really like the fur, the teeth, the claws. They like to go and hunt them for that. So we are expecting to see about a 10% population drop with by 2040 unless something is done. Which, you know, it sucks. Like, it's such a cool Pokemon. Like, I mean, competitively, I'm sure it's... It, I've seen it on plenty of teams, but, like, sometimes you got to look past that and be like, no, this thing is, like... They 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 build a really cool design. I love this design. Yeah. Chen Pao is pretty, is pretty great overall. It's a good design. I like how I like their how its cry is basically, like, an actual roar, too. I think that's kind of cool yeah. in game. Now, on to a Pokemon that... I don't know. People have considered it the lesser of the four evils. I would say, one, also, Don's probably very familiar with the inspiration with this one, with all the snail drama in Florida. Whoa, Chen. Whoa, Chen. <laughs> so, Wo Chen is uh, dark grass, basically a, a anthropomorphic pile of leaves spun together by paper. And what was, like, the bamboo, what's written on it again? Isn't it, um, it's, like, hateful words or something? What's the uh, deck entry? Uh, its true form is the row of hidden of wooden writing tablets forming its shell, having been given life by the grudges of the person punished for writing the evil deeds of the former Paldean Emperor's king. So, like, it's a punished whistleblower? It's just the, but it's just what he wrote is whistleblowing on. Yeah. It's the pamphlets. <laughs> it's, it's, like, the pamphlets. <laughs> it's the, like, the pamphlets of look how messed up he, our king is come to life. Yeah. Yeah, what is the, hold on, I'll find the dex entry, because there is some kind of emotion tied to it. I just can't remember what it is. I love how edgy these things are. Like, again, they're, I mean, look, throw a bug type out of it, it goes down and lets its tear out, but like, it's... It is the grudge of a person punished for writing the evil king's deeds. Okay, so wait, he so... wrote the king's deeds, and then the king punished him for writing the deeds, and now it's his evil, glu- evil grudge. Evil, I see. Evil grudge. Yeah, yeah just like how... So he's a like he's a upset journalist. Yes, I joined the club. That's like every journalist is today is upset. Uh, Wu Qian does drain the life force from vegetation just by being near it. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It's a snail. Turns everything barren. Like these. Like again, terrifying. Not good. <laughs> but it makes sense given that it's a snail. Like if you look up snails on Google. More often than not, you'll find people trying to kill them because of how much damage they do to a garden. There's the what are the ones that are in Florida right now? There's some giant African invasive ones that are eight. There's the giant long. African land snails, which are honestly just massive. And then there's also um we have a invasive apple snail as well. And they just cause a lot of problem to the um eight billion dollars of revenue generated by a lot of the agriculture down in southern Florida. So there's actually been a quarantine established and how the quarantine works in Florida now is that you cannot like ship dirt, snails, or like a lot of stuff from the area that you find them. in. And if you find them, you have to report it immediately and not touch it because it might spread disease. Yeah. Now, if you will, how snails do destroy crops, um, it's really cool. They have one of the coolest adaptations for consuming vegetation. It's called a radula. Think of it like a chainsaw mixed with a tongue. It's a tongue tooth. Tongue tooth. Tongue tooth tongue. It basically allows them to like lick and scrape away holes into whatever they need to. It's some sandpaper. Sna- yeah. Some snails have adapted it for like breaking into shells, but the most snails on land have used it for carving up vegetation. And so that's why a lot of times you'll get like gardens that have been ravaged by snails because they'll just leave little holes in the plant life 
causing it to deteriorate. So it makes sense why they would have Wo Chen be a giant snail of death, wiping away all the crops, because honestly, that's what most people see them as. I mean, they're not the worst, though. There are definitely worse pests out there in Florida, but they are still real bad. And just like there are worse pests, there are worse ruinous Pokemon. Well, actually, Wo Chen's the worst, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't don't mean worse in like legability. I mean in the destruction they cause. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Ting Lu is, um, I like every time he's out, I wish I could put more characters in for his name because I would just write the moose is loose. Because he he's out there. He's mean and terrifying. He's a big, and, is he a deer or is he a moose? He's a servant of some kind. I don't know what the hell he is. <laughs> but like he is definitely, he's beefy. I, I love how everyone just agreed. All right, slap it a salt fest and fissure on it. The rest will work itself out. <laughs> Figure it out later. Figure it out later. So uh, Ting Lu's form is uh, the, the giant vessel that's on its head. The big green part. Uh, that vessel has been given. It also me- gives me like Shadow of the Colossus vibes. Oh my oh, god, a, it does! That is a good call. Yeah, that is a good call. Ah, oh. the vessel on its head was given life by the fear of humans from ancient times, which were poured into the vessel. I don't know how you non-violently pour fear into something, but you ever been so scared you pee yourself? Boom! There you okay, go. Okay, fair. You got me there, Lucas. Yeah, no, it's just that's why it's upset. <laughs> uh, now what? Nothing t- gross. What Ting Lu can do is. If it lowers its head slowly, it can create fissures of over 160 feet deep. What? Uh, I'm sorry, what did you say? 160 feet? Yes, 50 meters down. It can create a 50 meter down fissure just by putting its head down. 50, okay, 160 feet. I was just trying to calculate. Oh, thank God. I thought you said miles for a second and not feet. Whew. That would have been like, excuse you? <laughs> well, no. like the, the crust is only 30 miles. And... They still remember Doug Trio's entry says it can dig 160 miles underground. And so it's swimming in the mantle, minding its own business. Like it, it's not safe. Like Ed, we can call Ed back to tell you how not safe that is. But it, it very much is like, that's still pretty terrifying. To me, it's the, uh, it's because it's so slow. It is very much the like horror movie series, the horror movie killer that just won't run. It's just going to, it also just no eats special what. attacks for 300 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's just eating bullets. <laughs> I also, the idea of it bowing its head reminds me a lot of um, um, the the bowing deer in Nara. So if you ever go to Japan, there's an area in Nara where they basically have these deer domesticated to like bow to you and take crackers from you. It's really wholesome until you see the edited out footages of like people being chased and attacked by deer to get chips. Yeah, no, they're not. They're, they're very small deer, but they're still deer. Yeah. Their still their skulls are built to impact stuff, so it's it's, it's funny, but it's also like wow, these deer really are kind of a kind of a bunch of jerks. I mean, it's not their fault, but you know, still. All right, let's hit the last one. Don's favorite, Chiyu. Don, what do you like about Chiyu? Um, I like when he hits his heat waves. Brilliant deduction. That's all. End the podcast. We're done here. <laughs> oh no! I so I I like goldfish a lot. I think uh. The whole history of goldfish being such an early domesticated animal is really cool and just sort of like the many cultural implications that goldfish have through the years. They're like symbols of good fortune, aren't they? Um, I, th- I think they mean a lot of things. Um, I But yeah, I, I believe that is part of it. And it's um, definitely like a, a status thing as well as just the, um, you know, it's like she used an example of like what would be a fancy goldfish. 
Um, there's a lot of um. Oh, what's the? There's a specific breed he actually resembles. Oh crap! What is it? I knew it. I, I've literally just pulled up like the evolution of goldfish, and I didn't not need to see some of these modifications. People, a celestial eye. Whether that's the one I don't like. That's not what GU looks like. Never mind. Uh, maybe it's like the telescope. There's a goldfish. Uh, I believe it's telescope eye. They have like slightly more projecting sideways eyes. Um, but it's got the uh, fancy goldfish body type, like the, uh, the the Aranda, which is the one with the cauliflower head, or the um, Ranchu, which is just like the thick boy with really big, um, and they're really squat, kind of goofy looking fancy goldfish breeds, is um, because they're bred to be viewed from above, because the breeds uh, existed before like glass fish tanks. So those the squat body, the squat body with the long fins made the fins look extra long and like luxurious when they were viewed from above. So, like, for koi ponds and such. Exactly. Koi ponds and then indoors in, like, uh, like sort of clay, either, like, large, like, vases or bowls or, like, sort of little indoor ponds. Awesome. I, uh, what does this thing feed on? So, Chiyu is the envy accumulated within the curved beads around its eyes that sparked multiple conflicts, cladding itself in fire, becoming a Pokemon. It can control faint flames up to 5,400 degrees Fahrenheit, and it casually, quote, casually swims through the sea of lava it creates by melting rock and sand. Yeah, so just creating tons of liquid ma- magma lava just to, you know, burn up oceans casually. So he is burning at over 2,000, like that's a burning over 2,000 degrees. Uh, 5,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, no, that's way hotter. That, yeah. That's not, that's not great. So, yes, Chiyu terrifying. To me, Chien Pao is the most terrifying. But overall, I think these four are really, really cool additions to the game and to the treasure hunting lore. Even though Pokemon is not necessarily a treasure hunting game, I think they are cool additions to treasure hunting game genre. I think Chien Yu is honestly my favorite now because of, like, the idea. Like, think of all the work that goes into effort into breeding these fish. People do steal these animals. So the idea of making the goldfish the symbol of envy of people like envying these beautiful fish and your beautiful pond, your beautiful house. I like this idea a lot. There's a lot of thought I think that goes into that one. The others are just cool and terrifying looking, but like, I don't know. I, I like them. I think they're a fine addition and they kind of break the whole like three mythical cycle. If that makes any sense. Well, technically enamorous broke that. Well, I'm glad we just got to focus on the games on this one because there are a lot of cool games and hopefully people will now want to play some of these older games that are if they become more available and I might even check out Tomb Raider. You never know. Everyone for listening, thank you so much. We've gotten so much great feedback from you guys and we've gotten a lot more listeners and we it's because you guys are sharing us. So thank you all so much. We really appreciate it and we love doing what we do. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day or night. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, everybody.